You're ready for a comeback. And with Purdue Global, you can do more than take classes. You can take charge of your story, of your career, of your life. Earn a degree you can be proud of and get an education employer's respect. It's time, your time, not just to go back to school, but to come back and move forward with Purdue Global, Purdue's online university for working adults. Start your comeback at purdueglobal.edu. Zigazoo has made me zigzag. What I mean by that is I swore I would never let my kids on social media, but now I'm setting them loose on Zigazoo. Zigazoo is a space for kids to post videos they've created and to share them with other kids just like them. Videos that are moderated by actual people. And since there are no comments or messaging, you don't have to worry about social trolling. Zigazoo, the world's largest social network for kids. Download the Zigazoo app today. Hi, I'm Bowen from Los Culturistas. And I'm Matt from Los Culturistas. Are you a small business owner or even someone who dreams of entrepreneurship? Then check out season two of Mind the Business, small business success stories from my heart podcasts and Intuit QuickBooks. Join hosts Austin Hankwitz and Janice Torres as they interview entrepreneurs sharing insights around starting and nurturing a small business. You won't want to miss these inspiring stories of entrepreneurship and discovering ways to business differently so you can too. Check out season two of Mind the Business, small business success stories from iHeart Podcasts and Intuit QuickBooks. Look, man. There. Oh, I see. Wow. Oh, my. Bowen, look over there. Wow. Is that Ooh. culture? Oh, yes. My goodness. Oh, wow. Yeah. Las Culturistas. Ding dong. Las Culturistas calling. Opening thought. Are you excited about sort of, I'm going to put this in quotes, taking seven and a half? And when I say that, we sort of told our guests we're going to go for like a hard seven and a half up top, meaning seven and a half minutes of pop culture. Hard seven and, and then a half. there were sort of some pithy jokes flying around about being excited. Like, I'll take seven and a half. And then my thought I wanted to open with was, are we excited about seven and a half or is that too big? Go. No, I think that's in the Goldilocks zone. Okay. Really. You described to me a dick that was like a... Uh, any anytime someone says baby arm i go oh let's reconsider well have i ever told you about the time i had sex with a guy i bought him for a guy that had a baby arm and i'm swear to god my asshole made a noise like a snapple cap was opening it was like and i also hit like a mariah note i was like "Ah!" and and we laughed and we could not (laughs) keep having sex after that but that's okay we had sex later probably about a week and a half later seven and a half sure why did you laugh? Because you guys read a fact off of the cap and it was, it was, um, <laughs> did you know that 10% of gay people <laughs> go like, on? No, I want to uh, know this. Are homeowners? <laughs> <laughs> Only 10%. God, the market's bad. Well, it's 10% of 10%. If 10% right. of the world is queer, then. Right. So closing that loop, we're both excited about seven and a half, but if it's a baby arm and we make a noise like a soft drink, you can laugh it off and just get ready for later. So sort of that's now, that's a topic that's already been discussed on the podcast and we're leaving it behind. Now let's move on to this new thing of how many people in the world are queer. It was so often said 10%, but I feel like this this number is changing. Well, yeah, I mean, you know what? At least in this country, the census is every 10 years. So we're going to have to wait for another seven years to figure out what the new status. I have not checked. I just kind of pulled that number out because I think that sounds like roughly the right figure. I'm probably wrong. Can the census taker ask me how I express myself sexually? No. Can they ask me that? Uh, Sometimes I go, how do these people know? Sometimes 
I fill out the census and <laughs> they leave saying fag. Well, I'm <laughs> I, I send back the census going, you're not getting anything out of me, no. but the bare essentials. Yeah. I open the door to the census taker and I cross my arms like this. Well, <laughs> go on, go on, ask away, see what you can get out of me, bitch. I missed the census takers from 2020 because we were in the pandemic. We were in lockdown and there was no census takers. Well, that I remember were there. It's been a while. It's like Hannibal Lecter once said, a census taker tried to test me once. And I said, girl, it's the pandemic. Come back later. (laughs) Anyway, today is going to be a really fun episode of The Pod. It's been a really incredible sort of week and a half. I have tattoos now. Congrats. Are you are you aquaforing? What's the deal? Oh, you still have the thing on the other one. Well, they told me four days. We went to an iconic tattoo artist, Bowen came, and I got a little house on my wrist to get a matching tattoo with house. And I got this so 22 lovely. on my other wrist to denote a powerful year. A powerful year and a powerful Taylor Swift song as well. Producer <sighs> Becca says in the chat, they came in 2020, but apparently in 2021, they are now asking about sexual orientation. Before then, they did not ask sexual orientation in the census. Good to know. So we're going to find out in nine years. Oh, I'm sorry. Seven years. I don't know. I don't want to know. Who cares? Okay. I don't want to know anyone else's business. It's not queer to like. Yeah, exactly. Be known in that way. It's not queer to be known in that way. Isn't that such a beautiful Oscar Wilde thought? It's not queer to be known in that way. It's not queer to be known in that way. Oh, my God. I went to Queer Britain, this lovely museum in the UK. Mm-hmm. They have Oscar Wilde's prison door. What? In the exhibit. I go, this is this is too sad. I got to move talk. on. If Walls could talk. Anyway. Wait. Th- what? Prison door. Was he in prison for homosexuality? They threw him in jail. They, they did. We can't talk about it. It's too sad. Can you imagine? No. Well, the mood is horrible now. Now the mood's bad. So many queer gay writers from the past suffered terrible fate. Yeah, bring the mood back up. Frank O'Hara got run over by a car in, on Fire Island. That's how he died. I did not know about this <laughs> and to hear about this. And I'm so happy we're sort of starting this podcast in this way. Um, I did not know he was run over on Fire, in the Fire Island Pines. That was awful. I, I think we could not have better guests. I mean, this as a guest. <laughs> this is the perfect sort of intro lead in to our guests i would say these are two cerebral people very smart people who are gonna have a lot to say about this the frank o'hara and oscar wilde of our generation some someday <gasps> keep them inside keep them inside i gotta say i was a little um not nervous i just had you stress it's the good kind of stress when you go into a situation why You're like ooh. Because of our guests. Yeah. I'm so excited. I mean, here's the thing. Genuine, true, deep wells of talent. And I mean, if you were lucky enough to see their Christmas tour, then you were one of the luckiest fuckers in America. I could not see them because I was on my own tour, but I did sort of run into them iconically in the Ronald Reagan airport. And we took a powerful <laughs> queer photo that I posted to Grid. Because I said, this is too powerful. It's what Reagan would have wanted. The only thing missing was you, Bo. Then it would have burned to the ground. It's like a scene out of The Comeback or something. You know, it's like two different queer Christmas comedy shows <laughs> touring at the same time, but meeting each other at the airport. Running into each other at the airport is very like curb your enthusiasm, The Comeback. I love that. It's like a little like behind the scenes of showbiz kind of thing. 
And that's why I brought it right to the grid. Right, right. You know them from not just Drag Race, but Drag Race All-Stars. You know them from a multitude of projects between them. And if you're lucky enough to be in New York right now, you can go see one of them on Broadway as Matron Mama Morton. We were so lucky to be able to go. I was personally blessed to be in the front row, Mm. which that's, I sort of get really high and then just buy tickets. And then when I show up, I realize, oh, I bought front row. Center orchestra. Center orchestra, front row. And I was like, okay. I was enveloped and it was one of the best things I've seen and I've been seeing everything. And I was so happy I went. Excellent. Electrifying. The energy in that audience is truly incredible. I've never really seen anything like it. And brand new. And brand new. It's a brand new energy. We're going to talk about it, but, um, Gosh, you know him, you love him. And if you weren't lucky enough to see their Christmas special, it is beautifully captured Mm. as a one-hour special that you can see on any streaming service you'd like. Any. For rental or purchase. Any one of them. Except for the ones that you subscribe to. Is that correct? (laughs) We're so thrilled to have them here. It's truly our honor to have... Hello, hi, 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 hi. (laughs) Is every introduction that gushing? Because no, say no. I said no. They're not always that gushing (laughs) in in every single sense of the term. No, this is major and huge. It was love at first sight for us with both of you. It's true. It's lovely to be here with you guys. Wait, I want to. Who's the Larry David in the airport scenario? Oh, I guess who was it following? I mean, look, whoever's the richest. Yeah, who's the richest? Let's let's talk. But what, what, let's get real real about the finances. <laughs> Great place to start. Whoever's the most into crypto, that would be Ben. I think. <laughs> I just need to point out that. Okay, first of all, thank all three of you for coming to see Chicago on Broadway. It was so fucking. It was good. so good. Um, you all came at different times. So it's nice to have friends peppered throughout the experience. Most yeah. recently, Bowen came with oh. my middle school boyfriend, Wait, Sam Lansky, Sam the best selling author of The Gilded Razor that um, is written about his youth and overcoming addiction and he couldn't remember a lot of the details of when we dated so i helped him write the chapter that's about me cheating on him in middle school (laughs) oh wow i heard there was a really sordid love triangle (laughs) at which jinx was the vertex of this triangle is that correct it was me and two boys named sam (laughs) <laughs> wow true middle school strumpet behavior i've always <laughs> been a whore yeah it's, it's continued through life it's not as if that was some sort of childish phase yeah. the, the childishness was uh, ever thinking that i was someone who should be monogamous mm, <laughs> of course and that ended at middle school that's beautiful and then do you feel some sort of cosmic connection to people named sam or is that just trivial People named Sam just come into my life and stay there. Uh, <laughs> but you have remained friends, clearly. Yeah, Sam Lansky and I, it's just, oh, and then the third Sam in question is Sam Rogers. I hope he doesn't mind me naming him, but I, I really like bringing up these two. They've both been on... Um, they weren't on my podcast yet, but they were on the thing that predates my podcast, which is 
a digital show I did in the pandemic called Jinx Calls Her Friends. And mm-hmm. that's exactly what it was. Um, <laughs> <laughs> and I called both of these Sams. And what's really, really cool is we all met in middle school. We were all queer. We were all the same age. Um, Sam Lansky and I came out really early. Sam Rogers came out in high school. We all said in middle school what we wanted to do with our lives. And all three of us do exactly what we said we were going to do in middle school, including Sam Rogers, who said he wanted to be a famous actor and a lawyer. And he was in the revival of West Side Story on Broadway. And then when he felt like he had, had felt his acting oats, he retired from acting, went back to school, and now he's a lawyer. Oh my word. The power. Every box chuck. And not every love triangle, everyone sort of gets what they want. You know what I mean? Like, it's really rare for everyone in a love triangle to like leave it and and go on to sort of good things. You know, you could, y'all could have really broken each other right there in the middle school. I think it's queerness. I mean, I think of the <laughs> queer people in my life, like Dela is probably the most type A, uh, I don't even know. Monster. I'm try- well, she's a monster, <laughs> but like also she's incredible. Like it's, she's an incredible monster. She's a deity. She's a <laughs> wrathful deity. She is yeah. capable Ooh. of such in- incredible things with her personality and it comes you know at a cost for everyone involved including her but queer people just get shit done i mean look at the four of us if the four of us ever morphed into one person we'd be the next president (laughs) i think we can do it as a refracted beam of light for individual people we can each run for office that's my take. I'm in. Let's do it. I mean, is there any reason we can't kind of reconfigure things where actually our quadruple just is? I mean, maybe this is becomes a one of those successful offshoots of one of Jinx's early relationships, <laughs> and we all <laughs> go for the presidency together as a as a four person ticket, three first husbands, and a you know we take turn playing lead. <laughs> Absolutely, there are swings. There are swings, and then, and, and Dale is sipping from a manifest that shit mug and so like manifestation is just in the air this was it's maybe the cheesiest drinkware i've ever owned but it was sent to me by um my drag hero varla jean merman and i'm like <laughs> i will always drink for it from it forever a mug morning. is a great gift and it can be powerful bd wong sent me a mug that's my favorite mug it says the word balls on it <laughs> <laughs> i love it and i don't think you can escape cheesiness or corniness if you have text on a mug you just have to embrace the fact that it's like it's silly it's lovely it's low stakes it's rule of culture (laughs) mugs can be silly it's actually rule of culture but what number was that 57 it was rule of culture number 57 mugs Mugs can be be silly silly. i mean we're we're drinking (laughs) coffee we're having fun already why not have more fun why not say it with me maximize Maximize. drag it up (laughs) oh my goodness exactly and this is actually this mug's first public appearance so wow yeah it's a big moment for all of us it's it's coming out party Yes. Wait, Jinx is in New York, obviously. Matt's in LA. Dayla, where are you joining us from? I'm getting PNW vibes. I'm in Los Angeles as well. Oh, oh sort of beautiful day, huh? It's it's <laughs> lovely, but I'm in my studio, which is a basement, so ah. it's neither here nor there. But yes. <laughs> well, if at any time you want to emerge, honey, LA is LAing. I'm ready. Where are we going? <laughs> to the market. Um, okay, <laughs> How fun was the tour? Was it the situation of every day is 
incredible and gorgeous. And because we have one person that's like, hey, come on, we're going to make the flight. And one person who's like, I'm coming, I'm coming. <laughs> I'm coming is Jinx's battle cry. <laughs> <laughs> Our tours are a lot because we have a huge emotional investment in the show, right? Mm, like, yes. It's not like a show where it's just like you get up and do a couple numbers and, you know, you have a meet and greet and you're girling with the girls backstage. Our show is our baby. Mm-hmm. It is also, you know, it's our opus, our annual opus that we pour our heart and souls into. Yeah. Um, you know, it, 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 it really... We put a lot of ourselves into it. So um, how the show goes each night determines how we are for until the following show, basically. Mm-hmm. But uh-huh. I have to say more than any other year, like you and I uh, didn't come off stage. Like, it, you know, sometimes you come off stage and you're like, oh, what? how did that yeah. wind yeah. up being what that was tonight? And I don't think we had a show like that this year. It was it's a good feeling. It was amazing. This year being the first year back to touring mm-hmm. post-pandemic, where people started to feel at ease of even being there. Like, yeah. you know, our tour last year or two years ago got canceled at the end of it because everyone got COVID, not just us, everyone, you know, it was like another wave. So a lot of things went back down. And now it's been, it feels like we're all starting to actually feel over the worst of it. So Mm -hmm. there is a gratitude between performers and audiences right now that is palpable. It's like, we're all so grateful to be back at it. And I think a lot of people have realized what aspects of live entertainment they were taking for granted, both performers and audience members. So I have felt it through our holiday tour. I felt it, this entire run of Chicago, like Mm. audiences are really, really excited to be back in the theater. And I, it's, it's just like a chicken and an egg thing because performers are bringing a lot of joy to their performance, just happy to be back at it. And that makes the audience excited. And then they excited. And they love you for loving them. And we all just love each other because none of us got all that full of in our childhoods. And that <laughs> and show that is show kid. <laughs> <laughs> The energy was really great. And I like, and maybe it is because there was the pandemic and I didn't, obviously we didn't see anything. You kind of take for granted what you didn't see before that. Like I kick myself oh, yeah. thinking about how long I lived in New York and I didn't see all these like incredible shows, like all throughout my twenties, you can't replicate that experience. And then all of a sudden you're turned around and so-and-so's not in the show anymore. That show's not available to see anymore. So yeah, that that's definitely been true for me. I am online on broadway.com purchasing. <laughs> <laughs> but with the tour, it's like, I, I think, Because would you say that the tour kind of is this facsimile of like your dynamic in real life where like Mm. Ben, Dela is like trying to like execute on this like holiday special and Jinx is like, well, I don't have the same idea of a Christmas special (laughs) thing than you you do. I mean, like, but to do that every night is, I would say like maybe emotionally, like, like, like the boundaries, like, like the the boundaries move a little bit or, or aren't totally defined. 
Do you ever get lost? It's changed <laughs> a little over the years, too, because we rewrite the show, essentially. Yeah. Every year, we always are like, eh, let's change one or two things, and then it's like 90% different. Um, <laughs> but this did definitely reflect... Uh, I mean, I was the one who was like jinx we should do a holiday show like initially and we sort of talked about this thing being like we'll do we'll make it really easy breezy you know we used to host these drag race like viewing parties we'll just get up there and like you know have a few drinks jinx doesn't drink anymore but we used to have a couple martinis like sing some songs it'll be very casual and then i sort of Jinx, I may be misremembering this, but I think this is an accurate representation of our dynamic that I was like, no, actually scratch that. We're scripting an entire thing. And so uh-huh. it is very much the character is very much a reflection of of that. And I am always sort of in real life. I'm not dragging Jinx through anything because she's exceptionally game. But <laughs> I also think that, you know, we've had this uh, character dynamic where we're really adversarial and uh-huh. this year was the first year where we were like with this show we're we're starting to develop more of a buddy comedy thing where we're mm. like on an adventure together yeah because i think it was feeling i think just our relationship changed and the show is changing with it yeah but you know what like the first instinct for a queer duo to play an adversarial dynamic i think is like something that a lot of people can identify with. I think Bowen and I, for sure, a lot of our early work is us being like super adversarial. And I think there is an instinct to want to like stand across from each other, like (laughs) arms at the hips. Like, what do you have to say to me? Because it like harkens back to like a (laughs) dynasty soap opera type situation of like, let me best you. And it is, but it is inherently playful. But yeah, sometimes it can feel (laughs) like maybe sometimes it gets a little real. Well, Mm -hmm. you know, One thing that I've kind of been becoming much more aware of, and this is one of the few things I can thank Ryan Murphy unabashedly for, is um, (laughs) Feud, Betty and Joan, Uh. like really taught me how toxic it is to pit people against each other when -hmm. they otherwise wouldn't have been, you know, like, and I think, you know, it's so funny. You're talking about you and Bowen. Dale and I had that. My music partner and I have always had a, we're two people at odds. My comedy partner, Nick Sahoya, our early work was all about us oh, just Nick, hating Nick. each other. Yeah. yeah. So um, I do think there it, that's built into just being, because when there's a scarcity of opportunities for people the mm-hmm. na- you know when you think of females in this industry being so uh, disenfranchised and then queer people in this industry being disenfranchised for much of history <laughs> of mm-hmm. course we get pit against each other because we're being told there's only one spot for us mm-hmm. and what we're finding out these days is no let's claim a lot more space rather than fighting over the one spot let's demand two spots and dala and i just kind of naturally over the years have shifted from writing kind of like adversarial variety shows to this year was the first year we wrote a play with Mm -hmm. a buddy Mm -hmm. film kind of motif to it and i think that's the direction we're heading because it was really rewarding to say this year we are writing a drag variety show and we're writing a three-act play 
done. Mm. That's what we're doing. <laughs> I think we also, right, like we have different touchstones now as queer people for like femininity and culture, right? Like right. All About Eve is sort of how we grew up and now mm-hmm. we have like Abby and Alana, you yeah. know, we like there's yeah. a different shift in how women in media are sort of no longer being presented as pitted against each other in the way that they were at a different time. Yeah. It's less like, I'm looking hot today, isn't it? And it's it's more like, you're looking hot today. You know, it's it's, it's sort of... um, Which is such an amazing shift. And it's cool to see that expand into the world of drag, which is historically catty. Yeah. (laughs) Totally. But I think this is all leading to both of you doing at some point, like a Whatever Happened to Baby Jane type, Listen, we are so perfectly already those archetypes. It's so already the like bleeding heart martyr in the wheelchair. And I'm so already the bitter old vaudeville clown in our shadowy castle. Um, Martyr. No, legitimately put upon. Deeply wrong. Wow. Yeah. Martha Stewart, the original influencer. When I think about anything, I think about the way that she did it first. The media mogul. The six years ahead, she saw what was coming. The prisoner, the rise, the fall, and the reinvention of an American icon. Once Martha paved the road, everybody else pretty much copied her. A CNN original series, The Many Lives of Martha Stewart, now streaming on Max. Hey, Sarah, I love that spring break vlog you posted on Zigazoo. OMG, you watched it? Yeah, it was edited so well. I think you're so talented. Social media interactions are only positive when you use Zigazoo. Zigazoo is the world's largest and safest social media network for kids. Your kids can upload their content and see what their friends are up to. With Zigazoo, they can create videos, enter to win prizes, and try out the latest dances and trends. There's no commenting, no text messaging, and everything is 100% human moderated. Plus, all community members are real, verified kids just like yours. There are no bots, trolls, or AI. Because Zigazoo is about one thing and one thing only, and that is fun. Try out Zigazoo this spring break and let your kids share your vacation vlogs and best edits with their friends safely. Download the Zigazoo app today. That's Z-I-G-A-Z-O-O. Okay, quick math. The less your business spends on operations, on multiple systems, on delivering your product or service, the more margin you have and the more money you keep. Obvious. But with higher expenses on materials, employees, distribution, and borrowing, everything costs more. So to reduce costs and headaches, smart businesses are graduating to NetSuite by Oracle. NetSuite is the number one cloud financial system, bringing accounting, financial management, inventory, HR into one platform with one source of truth. With NetSuite, you reduce IT costs because NetSuite lives in the cloud with no hardware required, accessed from anywhere. You cut the cost of maintaining multiple systems because you've got one unified business management suite. And you're improving efficiency by bringing all your major business processes into one platform, slashing manual tasks and errors. Over 37,000 companies have already made the move. So do the math. See how you'll profit with NetSuite. Now through April 15th, NetSuite is offering a one-of-a-kind flexible financing program. Head to NetSuite.com stereo right now. NetSuite.com stereo. NetSuite.com stereo. 
in the spirit of claiming space and celebrating one another rather than yeah. being adversarial, I just want to take a moment to gush over the two of you oh. who... No need. No need. No, I need to. I need. <laughs> oh, wow. Matt showed off his tattoo with the 22 significant year. I have to imagine that includes... I love that for you. That oh, show thanks. is so good and you are so good in it. Thank and you Bowen. so much. It's incredible. It's excellent. incredible. Excellent. I'm so happy you both enjoy it. That, that oh my means God, the most to so me good. that like the funniest, coolest people enjoy. <laughs> I think that was I the mean. first thing that tumbled out of our mouth when we saw you in the airport that day. Too. <gasps> I feel like we, yeah. Bowen, to see you kill it on SNL is just so significant. I mean, like SNL is an institution and I'm so glad they finally are realizing that queer people be funny too. (laughs) But you are doing such wonderful stuff on that show and so unapologetically for such a large, broad audience. And that is so important for our community. That means so much. Thank you. Yeah, the flamboyant, inanimate object journey is really, I feel like, I gotta say, I, I think I have to, like, put a period on it. because No, it's, no it's, I love God, it. No. Because it opens up, you know, when, I think we learned this, Bowen, like, Bowen and I used to be a part of this children's theater performance collective called Story Pirates, and kids would write <laughs> stories, and you would perform as these things that they wrote, so you would, or you would routinely be like, I'm a object. pencil, and I'm going through a divorce. <laughs> I have to get, find a way to get this document to my husband who's a mug a coffee mug here we go and you finish circle and it's just like i remember when that was happening it opened up the possibility for what you could play and so i do think it's fucking fun that bowen like plays these things because it's like very (laughs) queer too i love it oh no certainly certainly i think i'm still figuring out where i'm landing with this because it's that thing where like if you do comedy at some point, you're like, oh, when does your act become your enemy? You're like, when does this mm, start? But maybe that's my own fucking weird pathology because you guys all find ways to make things interesting because you guys are literally doing a show on a recurring basis and are having to iterate <laughs> on it repeatedly and making it interesting so that you like fall back in love with it. And I just need to like, with SNL, it's like, it's hard to fall back in love with the thing because all that's crystallized is what's on tape. And mm. if you do want to revisit it, it has to like in some way outdo the last showing of it. And so that's why it's right. It's a different relationship, maybe. But that means a lot coming from both of you, because I think between the two of you, it's five for five. The top Snatch Game performances ever. One hundred percent. Paul and Maggie Smith, Judy Garland, Natasha Leone, and Lily Edie. Those are in the top five, <laughs> period. Between two people. <laughs> Amazing. You guys never even overlapped seasons. Like, I think that is it's this wonderful thing that I think is so cool about some duos now where it's like you see these two people who are individually phenomenal and then to see them sort of like force multiply each other is just really awesome. Well, I'll let Dela talk on it (laughs) (laughs) because she'll be more concise than I will. But I think my best work is in partnership. Mm-hmm. Like across mm-hmm. the board, like I, I perform solo when I have to, but all of my best work is in collaboration. Mm-hmm. I agree. I feel the same. I feel the same way. 
I've been told I'm supposed to speak on this topic. <laughs> I just, I was volleying it to you. I was okay. setting up a topic. But I- <laughs> Wait, what's the topic? That I, that I can't live without you? No, collaboration versus yeah. solo. Collaboration as strength. Oh, yeah. Because Dela was working solo, you know, and continues to work solo. When I work solo, it's actually with my music partner. We've always joked that my solo shows are actually two people. We just call it my solo show. Um, but Dela's solo shows, it's her on stage. And if she's with a scene partner, it's a puppet that she's also operating. So, yeah. um, and until she can get her hand up there and move my mouth for me, which I'm working on. Who's <laughs> <laughs> to say she can? And so is James. <laughs> um, but you know, and it's true that when I'm doing my solo projects, it, I am the only person on stage, but I do collaborate with a lot of people in process. Mm-hmm. So it's still the result of multiple uh, voices, which I think is particularly important when you're been at it for this long. And like you were saying, Bowen, when you are, so, I mean, we've been doing the same characters mm-hmm. for decades right. at this oh my point. Gosh. And in order to keep that interesting, both for us and I think an audience, it's like we've constantly had to discover new depths and new angles to that, which I think is <laughs> really cool to be able to take these. <laughs> Jinx. Jinx. Oh, wow. I'm constantly <laughs> discovering new depths and new angles. Oh, <laughs> brother. Do you remember the wedge? Is that still a thing? <laughs> the, wedge. the sex the wedge. wedge. The sex wedge. I don't know. Wedge. I saw a lot of ads for that sex wedge. I don't know. Angles. But, um, oh, a the, sex oh. wedge. Like something you wedge in there to sort of, you know, discover no, new no, characters. It's like a it's pillow. Like a ski slope yeah, that you're like supposed to put your butt slope, on. Yeah. Kind of. yeah, yeah. Oh, and that's it, great. Hmm? Yeah. Oh, I, I can yeah. use that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, <laughs> check it out. It's called the wedge or something. I'm Googling. <laughs> but what the hell was I talking about? New depths and new angles. Oh, new right, depths right. and new okay. angles. <laughs> Title of that. But I do think that it's fun that Jinx and I have these very like cartoonish, uh, over sort of exaggerated characters, but we've gotten to find ways within like our work with each other, we get to find ways to like play more of the humanity of them underneath that, which I think has been really important in terms of the longevity of this project is that every year I think we dive further into that and people have even more of a strong emotional connection to it. And so what I'm, what I'm saying is I think you have to spend more time as a weather balloon (laughs) in order Yes, because they're just going to keep coming. They're just going to keep They really are. It's like there's so many of them. You can do them with different accents, Bo. It's SNL. They love oh that Oh my accent. God, they love <laughs> They love xenophobic accents, humor. Big, you know? <laughs> yeah. uh, but I wanted to ask about like specifically the characters of Jinx Monsoon and Bendel Creme because when you both came into Drag Race, I would say that these were both highly characterized personas that you had. You know, Jinx Monsoon with the lifted arm and the sort of swimsuit. <laughs> like, we, we got what it was immediately. And then Ben De La Creme, you know, that sort of, like, pin-up vibe that you were playing. I wonder how much did Drag Race challenge you? How did literally the Drag Race of it all challenge you to find new depths and new angles in those characters, as it were? Because it feels um, like that's something that they say. It's like, well, we want to know you. The vulnerability. Yeah. And it's, it is the vulnerability. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? It's a double-edged sword because I think both positive and difficult things came out of that breaking down the wall of the character and seeing right. the artist inside. And after season five, I felt like people 
would come to my shows expecting to see Jinx the artist, you know, the water off a duck's back. Right. right. You know, sensitive soul. And Jinx the character is a narcissistic, pessimistic, Milf. nihilistic, milfy bitch, right? Yeah. yeah. And yeah, yeah, yeah. so people would come to my shows and be kind of shocked at what my material is versus who they thought they were going to meet that night. And so I kind of spent a while between season five and All-Star 7 reintroducing the character to my audiences so that they could tell Mm. the difference. And it took, I mean, like, that's why I'm kind of glad All-Star's Seven happened when it did, because after a decade, and especially after teaming up with Dela and getting our show seen by so many more people because when we combine our powers our reach is like incredible um it's 12 so, feet <laughs> <laughs> um, so it just it, it's like by season seven i had a very clear idea of who jinx the character was so did my audience and i spent mm-hmm. season seven using that as a way to reintroduce the character and now, when people come to my show, they know exactly what the fuck they're going to get. Yeah, and that is right. such a boon to me because it means I get to start from the plateau of people get it. I don't have to introduce as much to them in all of my shows. I get to start from a place of mutual understanding. Totally. Right, right. <laughs> Which is such an old school way to approach drag that we do where there's really like one character at the heart of it. And that's not every drag queen, mm. which is great, right? Like we have drag queens with a lot of different skill sets. But it's a real challenge when it goes into a reality TV format and you're supposed to like cry about your dead mom or whatever while you're putting on makeup. Yeah. And it's, yeah. she can say that her mom's dead. <laughs> Yeah. Oh my God. Just this morning, actually, it was rough. But um, <laughs> yeah. I, I'm so sorry. But the, <laughs> right, but the thing is that we have these like amazing larger than life characters. And so I imagine this was very intentional going into season six that I I had the benefit of Jinx just being on five. And so I got to like learn sure. from some of her experiences. Yes. So I knew, okay, I have to let people know what they're going to see when they come on stage. The backfire when I come on stage, they're not going on stage. It's not interactive. (laughs) (laughs) The like backfire aspect of that is that if your character has, is cartoony and sort of over the top, but has any sort of nuance, then that does not, no nuance comes apart across on reality TV. So people are sort of all the time like, oh my God, she's so positive and sweet. And I'm like, but when I use her on stage, it's basically a critic, like it's a critique of that (sighs) outlook. Totally. Yes. Yes. So that was a little weird. And then all stars, I like went in and it was just like, okay, well now I'm going to show that I am capable of playing a lot more characters because I also do that on stage. She went in like a sniper. Truly. (laughs) She went in like a covert ops a highly trained assassin. Yes. <laughs> I don't know why I'm making it violent. It was like a like if Mr. Bean got hired as an assassin and just sort of kept accidentally shooting the right person. <laughs> but through fumbling. Johnny English. And, yeah. yeah. <laughs> but I think Ben's run on Drag Race is really remarkable because there was such a clear threshold between the persona in drag and the confessional workroom real grounded Ben, you know, like that was what always sort of struck me when I was, was that I was like, God, like she really has such control and a toggle over these two people. And both mm-hmm. of them feel honest. I, I wouldn't say authentic. I don't really know what that means when I say that word, <laughs> but honest versions of the same person. 
Does yes, that make sense? And I absolutely identify strongly with that. That is very much that like Dela is a very contained version of myself that can only exist in sort of short durations, right? Which is like, I think yeah. kind of the magic yeah. of a character like that is like that sort of outlook is not sustainable, which is why all of my pessimism uh, is reserved for uh, out of drag experiences. Sure. Then you become like Lady Gaga and you're like, I was this, I am this, per-. like there is no separation between. Well, and that's kind of where we're at. And we talk about this all the time as ourselves and in our collaboration. What's really, really funny is that Dela and Jinx, I mean, we both possess multitudes. We both possess yeah. aspects that like are attributed to either of us. But it's so funny to hear Dela say that um, her character is so contained in optimism and all of her pessimism exists in her real life. Whereas for me, I get all of my demons out on stage and then my day-to-day mm-hmm. persona is this bubbly, over-the-top optimistic like let's turn everything into a game i mean part of that's just me those are my coping mechanisms so i don't fall back into alcoholism but also it's just who we naturally are you know like she it's so funny that like on stage i'm the ren and she's the stimpy and then off stage she's the bert and i'm the ernie you know like we kind of flip-flop back and forth oh that's interesting and i mean that in all contexts (laughs) right yeah i identify with that i find i find that my day-to-day especially in like developing my persona for my own special and my own christmas show and the things that i do i come to realize like i'm much um colder on stage as like the persona i play and like much more like I smile a lot less. You know what I mean? Like sometimes, even sometimes I'll look at my own social media, like I'll black out and I'll look back at it and I'm like, I am projecting someone who sometimes I, and I guess that's like a, a struggle, right? Like as someone who's like public and trying to be an artist, but also like has like a podcast and gives people a glimpse into their real life. It's like, you don't always have a hold on like what you're projecting and who you are. Like that, that's tough to manage. And then to see it sort of, edited down by someone else in a reality show has to be, and then critiqued on that premise (laughs) has to be such a mind fuck. Like, cause I know it is for me just like in trying to have a career without cameras following it and then being like, yeah, yeah, yeah. We'll put this together in the edit. (laughs) Well, I'm staying on my meds and drinking plenty of diet Coke. (laughs) (laughs) It's a beautiful song. Maria Bamford. You're welcome. Yeah. Martha Stewart, the original influencer. When I think about anything, I think about the way that she did it first. The media mogul. The six years ahead, she saw what was coming. The prisoner, the rise, the fall, and the reinvention of an American icon. Once Martha paved the road, everybody else pretty much copied her. A CNN original series, The Many Lives of Martha Stewart, now streaming on Max. Hey, Sarah, I loved that spring break vlog you posted on Zigazoo. OMG, you watched it? Yeah, it was edited so well. 
I think you're so talented. Social media interactions are only positive when you use Zigazoo. Zigazoo is the world's largest and safest social media network for kids. Your kids can upload their content and see what their friends are up to. With Zigazoo, they can create videos, enter to win prizes, and try out the latest dances and trends. There's no commenting, no text messaging, and everything is 100% human moderated. Plus, all community members are real, verified kids just like yours. There are no bots, trolls, or AI. Because Zigazoo is about one thing and one thing only, and that is fun. Try out Zigazoo this spring break and let your kids share your vacation vlogs and best edits with their friends safely. Download the Zigazoo app today. That's Z-I-G-A-Z-O-O. Okay, quick math. The less your business spends on operations, on multiple systems, on delivering your product or service, the more margin you have and the more money you keep. Obvious. But with higher expenses on materials, employees, distribution, and borrowing, everything costs more. So to reduce costs and headaches, smart businesses are graduating to NetSuite by Oracle. NetSuite is the number one cloud financial system, bringing accounting, financial management, inventory, HR into one platform with one source of truth. With NetSuite, you reduce IT costs because NetSuite lives in the cloud with no hardware required, accessed from anywhere. You cut the cost of maintaining multiple systems because you've got one unified business management suite. And you're improving efficiency by bringing all your major business processes into one platform, slashing manual tasks and errors. Over 37,000 companies have already made the move. So do the math. See how you'll profit with NetSuite. Now through April 15th, NetSuite is offering a one-of-a-kind flexible financing program. Head to NetSuite.com stereo right now. NetSuite.com stereo. NetSuite.com stereo. We have to ask you both the question, which is, what was the culture that made you say culture was for me? Ben, let's start with you. I have really been overthinking this, which is... No such thing. That makes sense with the character. (laughs) (laughs) That is my MO. Um, I talk about a lot of the same touch that like over and over again in interviews, I like talk about the same stuff. And I was really thinking about what's my angle here. And I think that the first time I remember being like deeply affected by a piece of media in a way that like rattled my core was labyrinth. It was, you know, it was so like campy and over the top and like a musical, but like, right. So much of my sensibility, I think early on was sort of the things where some sort of reality and some sort of cartoon or puppet element crossover, like who framed Roger Rabbit was like a huge deal for me. Yeah. Uh, Pee Wee's Playhouse, which is that kind of dynamic. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Um, But Labyrinth, man, just like shook me because I was, I mean, I think I was like seven or something. And um, it was, so playful and fun and like magical, but also so sexy in a way that I was not prepared for and that I was so like excited, but also deeply upset by yes. yeah. just sort of a understanding myself. <laughs> and that's kind very of way. alluring. You know, that's that thing. You're like, what is that? Well, like, and I yeah. think it's maybe also the first time that you're like, oh, a piece of media can like reach real deep inside you to things yeah. that you don't even know. how. To. I mean, I obviously was not thinking about that at seven, but when I like reflect on it, the way that it can touch parts of you that you are unaware of. Right. Yeah, that's why I say that the movie Beauty and the Beast is responsible for my foot fetish. <laughs> why? Gaston with the toe out. Deeply Gaston oh, oh, you don't even have to think about it. Oh, yeah. 
Yeah. They smelled like exactly what you want. Was that your gateway to David Bowie as well? Yes. 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 Yeah. 100%. And then I, uh, I became just absolutely obsessed. It was actually, it was my mom who brought home that VHS of Labyrinth and she was just sort of, she put it in sort of knowingly and watched it with me and she was, there was some part of her that was like, I think this is going to speak to you. And then afterwards wow. I just like burst That's into cool. tears. And it was like, you know, that was not a conversation we were having, but it was very much in retrospect, her being like, okay, like, I see you, you know? But, um... Wow. Yeah, no, afterwards, like, being able to sort of more fully dive into everything else that David Bowie has been was definitely... That set me off on a path, for sure. David Bowie, too, That that's... I would also pro- maybe even connect that to you, like, gravitating towards drag, because David Bowie was, in, a, in essence, a drag queen. I mean, he was everything. Oh, absolutely. It also launched me into the Jim Henson universe, which is also full of drag queens. Like Miss Piggy and Janice and all these other, you know, Frank Oz playing all of these amazing archetypal Mm -hmm. women. Mm -hmm. Yes. Mm -hmm. So, yeah, from all angles, it it combined every element of that. Mm. Excellent answer, because every strand really goes back to that thing, to Labyrinth for you, where it it's the beam of light that refracts into all these things that you do now, which is beautiful. Yeah, and there's a million other touchstones along the way, but I, that's the first time I remember just being truly shattered by something. Wow. <laughs> in a good way, in a good way. Yeah. And also the, like, bizarre glamour, you know? Yeah. Like, it, it's glam, but it's also fucked. <laughs> well, and it's sexy and it's fun, but it's also, like, <laughs> deeply, it's, like, getting into, like, fears and, like, id and, like, all sorts of, you know, it's... Yeah. Uh, it's speaking to sort of serious and complex emotions and fears, yeah. you know? And I like that. I like when something is really silly and campy and sparkly and draws you in and then uh, kind of one-two punches you with something else. Mm. Yeah, we don't have enough of that stuff now. We really Truly. don't. I think the last thing I can really imagine, and speaking of duos, that like went for it in like a stylized way that you can see I, in watching it. I was like, people that see this that are young and don't really know themselves yet might really find themselves in this is like Barb and Star. Oh, oh my God. yeah. Such an incredible movie. Jinx yeah. and I watched that like within 24 hours of each other and could not shut up about it. Anyone who doesn't like that movie doesn't know movies. It's amazing. Why are we not seeing drag queens? I don't want to say who the villain is. Why have we not seen more drag queens cosplaying that villain? Oh my God, you're so I, yeah. right. You're, you're right. so you're right. right. You're right. You're right. It's an that incredible means, it, it doesn't costume. get referenced. Yeah. <laughs> Just the soda, st- the soda stream in the beginning. I'm, I oh. knew we were off to the races. Oh, suicide. <laughs> and it was beautiful the way that it really like spoke to sort of this amazing journey of these women in middle age kind of finding themselves and reassessing. And it was such an amazing way to get into that. And that's what I love about camp in general. Yeah. Is yes. That it just sort of breadcrumbs you down a road and then you can do anything with it and you can keep it silly or you can really go somewhere. But people, they all their armor is down when they've been dazzled yeah. by some like bright colors yes. and some goofy jokes god you're so mm-hmm. right it, it, it is breadcrumbs when it comes to like delivering camp we, i think we all like can recognize it at this point in the culture but to make it it is this thing where you leave crumbs and then once you fully have the audience in the pocket of that you can do literally anything and we will be along for the ride there can be a crab that like yeah. comes along and speaks in 
Morgan Freeman's voice, you know, like in that oh movie. Oh my God. <laughs> Speaking of which, yes. and this is something that Jinx and I sort of like always think about in our shows is that we have like this sort of heart that we want to get people to that we really want them to feel vulnerable. And so we use a lot of dick jokes to get there. But also puppetry having the drag the, oh, the, yeah. the drag the crab like deliver that <laughs> message i always i actually always use puppets to talk about yes, them yes, like yes. i did a show like a million years ago about um it was it was about like american history and i used a bald eagle puppet to address slavery and genocide because that's the only you know what i mean it's like it's if you the only delivery there, system mm-hmm. that like the yes. audience will like tolerate because they're like oh it's a silly puppet giving this heavy heavy message yes yeah totally oh I and we do that it. in the show as well right except right. usually our puppets are villains yeah oh right because it, it was the it was the bar cart in the yeah special. so yeah. in the in the special <laughs> it's the ghost of my dead grandmother yeah. in a glass of eggnog and she's sort of like racist and homophobic <laughs> um yeah and we've used that a lot we had a transphobic gingerbread man on one of our that was like furious oh. that we were not necessarily going to assign the male like through bow right, ties right, right. and like signifiers like that they were yeah, like, yeah, really yeah. angry about that I'm curious about what other touchstones there were though because you overthought it I do want to know where else your brain went like along the way there's a lot of like elvira uh uh-huh. Wee herman characters who i really love that they never broke they would go on like a late night talk show and they would yeah. not reveal the person behind them which is something i was sad about drag race sort of losing is mm. that uh, this yeah. like thirst to see the person bes- behind the character and we've lost that thing of totally people who just never allow you to know them which makes you believe in their me. characters in mm-hmm. a way that's why would we be able to believe that Elvira is a person human, like moving through the world? But Cassandra Peterson has convinced us of that. Like we bought yes. it right, yeah, in a way that was like speaking to like the child in us and all sorts of stuff. And then I don't know. Fast forward, and uh, when I saw the Wigstock documentary, that was oh, really mm. when I was like, oh, click, click, click. All these sensibilities, drag is part of this. Totally. And that's where I really was able to say oh, all these things that I am already drawn to or that I already am, there's a container for that. And it's this thing called drag. And yes. that's how you get to incorporate all of it. That is drag. Mm-hmm. Drag is the clock. And then everything else is sort of the gear and the hand and, and all that. Exactly. I can't think of a modern equivalent to like an Elvira or a Peewee like someone who will not break on it. Like the, the, no, because we're obsessed with knowing who everyone is. Does Pete Davidson count? <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> I don't know about that. But I mean, I was going to bring up again, cause just because Matt and I were on a, a Jiminy Glick kick recently. And Jiminy Glick is like, oh. it's, it's so ridiculous. And there are problematic <laughs> aspects to Jiminy Glick, obviously. But like, there's something really pretty brilliant about Martin Short just to like staying in that zone and having Jiminy Glick be the delivery system for his most vile, toxic, mean, rude thoughts. And he would just insult his guests, you know? You know who is maybe Mm. our closest thing is Stephen Colbert. Sure. Yeah, Yeah, totally. Totally. Like less so now, but... Right. And Amy Sedaris has built, Uh, uh, like even just her out of jerry blank drag like by creating at home with amy sedaris she's created a version of herself that is amy sedaris but also a heightened you know clown form of her you know what's funny is i completely agree with dela and also i think there's something very powerful about 
just us talking about ourselves and talking about our lives, you know, like I, I really did miss the anonymity that I gave up when I did drag race. Like I used to be able to be jinx and then get Mm. out of drag and no one knew who I was in Seattle. I mean, like the, the more popular I got within the drag scene, um, the less that was, but like, I still was able to like go places out of drag and just be a human being. No longer. And that's kind of gone from me now. (laughs) But to know that people who resonate with the stories that I've, you know, been very candid with to know that that inspires them and and helps them in the same way that drag Queens did that for me. It might be like through different forms, you know, but like people are drawing inspiration from me the same way I drew inspiration from lady bunny and Coco Peru and, you know, the old guard of drag, the generation that paved this path for me. Um, So, uh, it's it's give and take. I'm yeah. I'm okay with it. Is the thing is like I'm okay, and I still do what I love to do, and they right. assign meaning to it. I always say, listen, mm. I'm really really happy to pay it forward. If me getting on stage and telling a bunch of satirical dick jokes makes you feel more seen, then it's yeah. a win win mm, for totally. both of us. Yeah. Beautiful, <laughs> Jinx Monsoon. What about you? The culture that made you say culture was for you. Um, I'm going to weave a tale of many things that have all fit together. But, Jackie Weaver over here. <laughs> but I think my my answer is LARPing. Live action oh. role playing. Oh my goodness. Now, in middle school, all of my friends were Mormons, but I didn't know what Mormons were. But um, these were Portland Mormons. So they say. were very liberal Mormons. <laughs> yeah. And their favorite things were um, the King Arthur Legends and mm. Rocky Horror Picture Show. Oh, and, wow. Um, so we did a lot of... Yeah, we did a lot of... We would put on the soundtrack and act out the soundtrack. That happened a lot. Um, we all had nicknames based off of um, characters in the King Arthur Legends. I was Queen Guinevere. Naturally. Naturally. And then I was a grade below, or two grades below most of the friends in this group so their eighth grade graduation (laughs) um after after the last day of school we went to a park and larped for like three hours and i guess the reason why this is so important to me is because it was this moment of realizing that if you are just honest about having an interest in something, you might fe- find people yes. who share yeah. that interest, even if it's the dorkiest interest, you, something you would never want to even reveal about yourself. But mm-hmm. if you find a way to safely reveal that, you might find people who share the interest. And like, I l- sincerely loved dressing up in Renaissance gear and running around in this park with my friends and pretending I was a shapeshifter. I had this um, Perrier bottle that I had peeled the labels off of and it was my shapeshifting potion. It led to me (laughs) cracking my tooth. Oh, because they're so hard, those bottles. Yeah, someone bumped into me and it broke my tooth. And um, I used to lie and say it was a skateboarding accident (laughs) because I didn't want to admit that it was from live action role play. But you know... When I think about that, I'm like, that 
just showed me that like there are people in the world who want to play make believe with you. And then mm. it wasn't long after that I saw my first drag show. It wasn't long after that that I started doing drag. And that was just like those are the breadcrumbs of leading to me being me. And then I think about um, the Dresden Dolls and Amanda Palmer. The Dresden Dolls oh, was the wow. first band of my youth that was like not a band that my parents listened to when I found myself. Mm-hmm. And it was like so very much, it was the exact kind of music I had always been waiting for. Then Amanda Palmer became this big icon to me. Amanda Palmer's gone on to do such amazing things. She's continued to be this icon. We got to do a duet together. She put out a book and a TED Talk. So if you can't read, you can listen to the TED Talk. But um, <laughs> it's called The Art of Asking. And that's how I started this whole rant. But um, The Art of Asking. Um It's just the concept that if you are honest with the world about what it is you need or what it is you're looking for, then you might find people who want to give it to you and who might not ask for anything in return. They might just be looking for someone to give this thing to, but you'll never know until you ask. Yeah. So I think we've been conditioned to think that we have to do everything on our own. And if you need help from others or if you need to ask for help or if you need to ask for assistance or you're searching for people with similar interests, then you're somehow weak or less apt or less like fit for the world. But Amanda Palmer says, nah, there are just times when if you ask, you can receive. And it's as simple as that. Wow. (laughs) That's wonderful. I love that. Between the Dresden dolls and LARPing, I think there's this shared thing of like aesthetics where like, listen, I never LARPed, but I would do this thing. I was like squarely in the eighth grade, let's say. Um, going to Chinese school on Sundays and what I would do with the kids in like the fifth grade who were around these, like, like all the Chinese kids kind of like were in the same soup or whatever. And then we all like went outside and I would lead these, like this weird high fantasy, like adventure where I was the dark Lord and these kids had to chase me down and fight me with their spells but the thing is, we we didn't have costumes. And so between the Dresden Dolls and you LARPing as Guinevere with your potion, like you had <laughs> costumes and props. And I feel like the Dresden Dolls were this group who like embraced this like fusion of cabaret and punk. It, yeah, and so it was, like it was steampunk, cabaret, punk punk. Uh-huh. It was also like very queer, even though they were a male and a female. Yeah. And but like I would venture that Amanda Palmer identifies as queer and they exuded it at a time when I wasn't seeing a lot of queerness in media. I was assigning queerness to things. Right. Mm-hmm. You know, remember when we didn't used to get to see ourselves on TV, so we had to find ourselves. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I've yeah. always found myself in the most random of places, like um Magic a Dispel on right. DuckTales. Remember oh that freaking Her hair. duck? Her oh hair is gorgeous. <laughs> that black box. It's why little queer kids are always choosing who they choose in video games. You know what I mean? Yeah. I think it's a much more mainstream instinct than people realize that they want to disappear into something. I mean, even little kids when they're playing like Manhunt, you know, there's this fantasy they're playing about about hunting and being hunted that they do in a safe way or like with video games or even in school. I remember my favorite things were where I remember when I was in eighth grade, 
we were going to reenact the Boston Massacre trial, and I was John Adams, the lawyer, and it was my favorite thing because I would write these long, long speeches to give in front of the jury. And I remember, I think people were afraid of how hard I was committing to it, and I was really <laughs> willing to commit, it, to commit to it because I think they were like, it wasn't cool to commit to it. It seemed gay <laughs> to commit to this thing. So they didn't vote for me at the end. And I remember I did not win the trial. This is an outrage. <laughs> it was really like that. It was very overdrawn. And, and I'm telling you, my closing argument to the jury was like 10 pages. And I'll never forget my teacher, Mr. Topagna, pulled me over to the side and he said, I want you to, to know that I appreciate what you've done and I want you to give me that because it's one of the best things I've had written in my class. And he wow. he saw that I tried hard and committed it and wanted to live out the fantasy. And it's like that thing where you see a kid wanting to live out fantasy and other like their peers like stomp it out a little bit and there is that instinct i think to stomp out creativity and stomp out like imagination and we see it now more than ever um because of fear and because maybe that you'll look stupid if you try to do the same thing but i really appreciated that someone in my life encouraged that like i said i do think like if we all were more in touch with our inner children we all would be doing more things like that because it's fantasy, it's imagination, it's fun. It doesn't have to be scary or weird, you know? Yeah. It's it's interesting that it's niche because it's actually so universal. I think it's why video games are like such a big part of our culture. And we're talking a lot about queerness in video games. And I think video game mm. developers are having to realize that they have a huge queer audience because I don't think people realized it, but like video games were a safe space for queer kids Yep. because you could play by yourself. And just like you were saying, you choose characters and especially An nowadays you can customize this character. So who cares who you are in your day to day life? You can be who you want to be in video games and no one has to know. And so that's why this kind of representation is important. But I think we should just find ways to make life more like video games. We should just let people be their avatars Mm -hmm. in their day to day life without judgment. I mean, a loke v men and sorry, I know I'm on such oh, a yeah, tangent yeah. right now, but a loke is always talking about the reason why people try to squash out that creativity is because they're afraid. Mm-hmm. And you were just saying fear, but it's like it's fear of two things. It's fear of someone else living that kind of freedom and having to reconcile that they're being free and realizing that you're not free. And so having to admit that you've been living under this like brainwashed conditioning your whole life. And if you wanted to, you could actually be free of that. But then also the fear of like, what would that feel like to, to let all the rules go Mm -hmm. and let go of everything we've been taught and just actually live authentically. Like that's terrifying for some people and queer people were just used to being terrified. So, we go for it. <laughs> right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I think that's true. It's it's very hard and scary to live your life open to things and taking risks because you get hurt, you know? Like, mm-hmm. especially, like, when that's intrinsically who you are and who you want to be, you know? Especially, like, living in a world where you are told in a macro sense, like, you don't fit in here. And so then, then you're, like, alone with yourself and you think, well, at a certain point, I look back and I think that actually was a gift because I'm like, well, if I don't belong here, let me look around for where I do belong. And then it's the asking of it all that you mentioned. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. It is the finding of community. And then you find your, you know, bow and yang to you or your bend to you mm-hmm. or your jinx to you. And like you yeah. feel encouraged and you feel more like yourself 
through community. Absolutely. I mean, I think that as queer people, we spend a lot of childhood like waiting for adulthood and then Mm -hmm. explode into an extreme, right? Because it's been getting pent up for all that time. It's, and I think one of the beautiful things about the video game aspect, right, is that like we just had to like wait until we had access to anything that could help us sort of present ourselves the way that we see ourselves or that we had like a safe environment where we could present ourselves in the way that we see ourselves. And now there is this outlet for queer kids to have some of that. You know, one of my favorite, this is actually, I'm sorry, this is a tangent, but one of my favorite (laughs) things to ever be on SNL is uh, Wells for Boys. Oh my God. (laughs) I think it was was a watershed moment, actually. I mean, I I, think that was like a huge deal. That was so explicitly, intrinsically, (laughs) deeply queer. Yeah. Yeah. That was just a way that I've seen myself reflected in media that I have not seen before. But I really, you know, I think a lot of us, that's the thing is we just like sit around and wait to be grown ups so that we can do anything about it. And then, of course, we're just going to be like totally balls to the wall by the time we get there. Totally. Mm -hmm. I think I am trying to maybe connect too many dots here, but I think like the (sighs) thing, the thing from Dela, the thing from Jinx about these, these cultural touchstones is that like aesthetics matter in that it is what communicates it is the medium of communication for people that's i think that's why like i always say like it's not shallow to like care about the way you look even if it goes against a beauty standard even if it goes if it goes along with the beauty standard it's like it's important because it might actually play into like a gender expression or another kind of expression but then i think it's also the reason why not to bring this into the chat but like the drag bands are like all of a sudden very prolific is because drag ends up being the most aesthetically impactful thing across the board and so it's the thing that like stokes fear in certain people who think well this is the most dire dangerous thing that's going on right now even though it does not pose any threat to them but it's only because there's this aesthetic quality to drag that like says so much without really saying anything verbally or orally does that make sense it's like what we were talking about earlier about like you get to start from a more honest place with new people that you meet. Right. Like my life has improved so much now that I've started presenting as the way that I feel inside because people call me ma'am rather than sir. And so I respond joyfully rather than cranky. Yeah, <laughs> you know? yeah exactly. exactly. Mm-hmm. Um, so yeah, aesthetic, aesthetic presentation can be more important than just you know, vanity, or it's not all about ego. No. It is also about having a conversation without words. <laughs> well, and drag, I think, I mean, I think it's also scary to people in general, but right now, obviously, there's a lot happening with drag right now in our country that's like bizarrely high profile. I still, it feels surreal to me, but it also feels so familiar, right? It's like, I think a lot of people are reacting to it in this way where it's like, whoa, who could have seen this? And I'm like, I think most of us, you know, and it started there. Like that's, it was recent history that drag was regarded in this way. And I think it's because it's a like, it is the aesthetics about a claiming power. It's about being the most powerful person in the room. And that's huge. And that's what it was in like bull culture in Paris is burning. It was Mm -hmm. being like, okay, we're not rich and straight, but we can still claim that power in these spaces. And now we're in all the spaces. And of course it's terrifying to people because 
yeah i don't fear yeah. controls people and imagine imagine being like a god-fearing person who's been taught that that feels that way and then hearing someone like rupaul saying i am god in drag you know what i mean <laughs> and suddenly there's hundreds of like i guess what ru would call monsters running around being god in drag and then that idea even if you are not a drag queen or have an instinct to do drag i remember how revolutionary it was for me to hear that there actually were not limits. That is when my comedy really broke open. And I have to credit like the popularity of Drag Race for showing me someone in my 20s who was very much doing this sort of straight drag in my comedy until I realized there was like an empowering thing uh, about really uh, taking your queerness and putting it out there. I mean, it was this weird time in my life, and I think I'm speaking for Bowen too, which was like, Drag Race becoming huge. Our friends Josh Sharp and Aaron Jackson, like performing at uh, UCB, which is like a very hetero institution at the time, and then being so unapologetically their faggot selves. You know what I mean? Like, <laughs> like and I just like it, it's it's this idea, like, oh wow, I actually don't have limits. Yeah, and I don't think I would do anything that I do now if that message hadn't been delivered to me. And so for queer people to be given this powerful message and this powerful tool and to realize, like, don't listen to the naysayers and all these things. Like, of course, that's going to be scary for people that want control desperately because they're afraid. Yeah. yeah. But now that you've mentioned it, I will say that I've seen videos of your UCB characters, your Upright Citizens Brigade you have? characters. I've seen, um, what was this? Um, the Batman, Batman villain? villain. Yeah, yeah, that I was the, one of my favorites. The most unpredictable <laughs> Batman villain of all time where they didn't have an identity or like they basically were everything everywhere all at once, if you were. And yeah. that would make them actually predictable because if you think about these Batman villains, it's like, okay, so they're the Joker. You know there's going to be a card. You know it's probably going to be the thing opposite of what they say. Like, we really could kill the Joker if we wanted to. I get that Gotham has to run and be afraid. But, like, you know, the Riddler, let's just get someone who's good at riddles on the case. Get someone who's, get Mama who's good at Wordle to come in here and we can kill the Riddler. The Penguin, honey, I don't know, turn up the heat. Wow. Speaking of Wordle, we are boycotting the times now. So, yeah. Listen, Wordle was. <laughs> If if you you're played right. Wordle for more than two weeks, you're and I use this word pejoratively, you're a fucking nerd. You're a, you're God a bless. nerd. Haven't we already established a love of nerddom in this conversation? Though? Yeah, I am choosing in this instance to use it pejoratively and to okay. actually like weaponize that that word. Sure, as a queer person, you have that option. Absolutely. And I was using faggot pejoratively against Justin Aaron too. I want to say. Aaron Jackson, what a great person. Uh, I've known um, Aaron uh, for ages, and I have had the biggest crush on them my entire knowing them. But I, the, the times, the times, is, oh, I felt horrible because I was introducing Sam Lansky to a group of people, and the, I always love to brag about my friends, and I was oh. like, Sam Lansky, New York Times bestseller, but who gives a fuck what the New York Times <laughs> think? You should say, good Goodreads legend Sam Lansky, but we, we don't support Amazon. Saturdays are for sunshine, especially for your ears. With another election, ongoing wars, and natural disasters, we know the news can be a lot to take in. And we're determined to share the bright side of humanity. Every Saturday, take a breather from the headlines and hear all the uplifting happenings across the world with five good things. 
a new weekend edition of CNN Five Things. That means you can find this goodness in the same feed as Five Things. Listen to Five Good Things on the iHeartRadio app. Have you heard about the social media platform for kids? It's called Zigazoo. It's a great place where kids like me can come together to make fun videos. Zigazoo is moderated by real live people who review content before it's posted on the feed. Oh. <laughs> I especially love the dance challenges. So much fun. Oh, and there's no comments or messaging, so you don't get any of that negativity that's all over other social networks. All oh, my friends love it. I love that it's KidSafe COPPA certified. Uh, I don't know what that means. It means it has built-in privacy protections for your online data. Uh, that's great, but I wouldn't be doing Zigazoo if it wasn't fun. She would not be doing it if I didn't think her data was safe. Zigazoo, the world's largest social network. For kids! <laughs> Download the Zigazoo app today. Okay, quick math. The less your business spends on operations, on multiple systems, on delivering your product or service, the more margin you have and the more money you keep. Obvious. But with higher expenses on materials, employees, distribution, and borrowing, everything costs more. So to reduce costs and headaches, smart businesses are graduating to NetSuite by Oracle. NetSuite is the number one cloud financial system, bringing accounting, financial management, inventory, HR into one platform with one source of truth. With NetSuite, you reduce IT costs because NetSuite lives in the cloud with no hardware required, accessed from anywhere. You cut the cost of maintaining multiple systems because you've got one unified business management suite. And you're improving efficiency by bringing all your major business processes into one platform, slashing manual tasks and errors. Over 37,000 companies have already made the move. So do the math. See how you'll profit with NetSuite. Now through April 15th, NetSuite is offering a one-of-a-kind flexible financing program. Head to NetSuite.com stereo right now. NetSuite.com stereo. NetSuite.com stereo. I think we're moving very sort of naturally into our segment yeah. called I Don't Think So Honey, because there's not a bigger I Don't Think So Honey than the New York Times right now. But uh, this is our 60 second segment where we take something in pop culture and we sort of absolutely rage against it because it needs to be raged against. Mine's a little alt this week, Bo, okay. but as a result of my ticket buying spree when I'm high, I've realized something about myself and okay. I would like to pop off. Interesting. This is Matt Rogers' I Don't Think So Honey. His time starts now. I don't think so, honey, me during a Broadway show. I'm not watching the story. I'm watching the butts, especially when I'm in the front row at Chicago. I am looking at your butt. I'm sorry. If you're a dancer in a Broadway show, I'm looking at your butt. It's sort of like it's it's something I can't control. And the garments that my guys are wearing, like, oh, my the gosh. Sheer. I'm telling you. Uh, it, uh, it's it's happening at some like it hot. It's happening at Chicago. It's happening over here, over there. It's happening at N Juliet. Thirty it's seconds. Happening at uh, I'm gonna see a doll's house with Jessica Chastain. Bad it's Cinderella. gonna be happening there. It's happening at Bad Cinderella. It's one of the only things happening at Bad oh, Cinderella. Just no. kidding. So much is happening at Bad Cinderella, and I think I had the time of my life watching it, but I'm still processing. Sure. Fifteen Broadway seconds. boys, get in the DMs. Reach out. At the very least, I can make you laugh. Five and I'll seconds. Eat your ass. Let's have a good time. Let's have a drink and a twirl about the room. I don't think so, honey, me. <laughs> and that's one minute. Lovely. And speaking of Broadway asses, I would say, Jinx, that suit really fits you nicely. The suit fits me nicely. The ass is fake. <laughs> oh, it is? <laughs> That's my foam drag ass, silly. Well, it looks <laughs> That's great. That's my foam drag ass, silly. Ass That's silly. real culture. That's real culture number 30. <laughs> That's, That's my, my foam, foam drag, drag ass, silly. 
just the most <laughs> gorgeous people in the world in Broadway ensembles. I mean, it's just so happy for all of them, too, because it does feel like an exciting time on Broadway again. Like, I went to go see, obviously, you in Chicago, and it felt like, you know, afterwards, we were lucky enough when you popped out, got to meet uh, Lana Gordon, who's playing oh Velma, my God. and even she Fabulous. was saying, like, the energy has been so great. I mean, yeah. like, and, and like, to hear about the houses being filled in the way that they have with with you like that's amazing not only for you and for broadway but also for these incredibly talented people who don't yes. always get receptions like that or excited audiences like that who really deserve it because yeah. this is to even get one of these jobs and to keep one of these jobs is such a feat and like just so kudos to all of them and they're gorgeous absolutely i will keep this brief but it's a really queer time on Broadway right now. Lots mm-hmm. of shows are. It's true. And it's about fucking time. But yeah. I, I'll say this because it was kind of astounding. I saw Take Me Out, which you probably heard yes, about. Yes, I saw too. For Jesse Tyler's Tony winning performance in it, but also full frontal male nudity. Absolutely. Now, both with Chicago and with Take Me Out, there was a thing that drew queer audiences in. Full frontal male nudity, drag queen on stage. Um, <laughs> so there was a hook that lured audiences in then once they were in take me out it was a profoundly beautiful show it Mm. was so good it was confronting it was honest it was uh, magnificently performed chicago like you were saying lana gordon and charlotte d'amboise charlotte d'amboise icons they are gay icons who have been playing these roles for years yes and are finally getting to play these roles in front of queer audiences who are going to respect the work that they're doing and the level that they're doing it at in a way that their straight audiences might not have access to. So everything you just said, yes, yes, yes. Broadway, very queer. It always has been, but now we're being unapologetic about it. Yeah. And I I do just want to tag onto that. Like I'm mentioning that I saw these shows just excellent. And there's also in Some Like It Hot and and Juliet, there are explicit trans narratives in them that it like and to see that in more than one show on Broadway right now, not even just queer, like it's really exciting. And I found myself looking around and everyone really receiving it and watching it. And I just think about, you know, when I was a little kid seeing Hairspray on Broadway, like that, that was such a revolutionary thing at the time and to, to the progression on that. And to see it really happening in Broadway theater, like, you know, kudos. And I've been having a really amazing time seeing all these shows. All right, Bo and Yang, are you ready for your I Don't Think So, honey? I'm ready. I'm ready. And I don't know how this will be received. I feel this way, though. You feel this way? I do. I do. Well, if you feel it, you need to speak it. Okay. Bowen, this is your I Don't Think So, honey. Your time starts now. I Don't Think So, honey. The words macaroon, macaron, and macaroni Language fails us all the time. These are three things that are completely different from each other, and yet they share the same root word. Yes, it's, they really it do. doesn't make any sense. These are things that cannot be interchanged for each other. Maybe a macaroon and a macaron can be interchanged for each other. They're both sweet, lovely, delectable desserts. Thanks, girls. They're not the same thing, and I actually don't like it when people refer to a French macaron as a macaroon. Seconds. There's no coconut. There's no almond. Carelessly tossing this term around words matter and yet words fail us it is a terrible conundrum we are in as english speakers 15. i mm. i truly mourn the loss of other languages in an era of globalization in an era when every person on earth is expected to know some english when they have gorgeous mother tongues that can more 
readily wield these three different foods with different terms. Macaroni, macaroon, macaroon, different things entirely. And that's one minute. My girl said era of globalization. <laughs> it's true. It's true. I need mean, to say something subversive, which is that I think a macaron is disgusting. And I'm really upset when somebody <laughs> offers me a macaroon and it Why? isn't. You go Why? like this. Get out of here. Get out of here. Because a macaroon <laughs> is delectable. I feel the opposite, Ben. Well, but we're Jack Spratt and his wife. We're going to polish them all off. <laughs> <laughs> I love macaroni. I love macaroni too. I love it. I always forget <laughs> when someone says macaroni that they don't necessarily mean elbow, but I think of elbow macaroni when I think of macaroni, but it could literally be any tubular pasta. Let's just. Mm. <laughs> I didn't know that. Yeah. I'm learning so much here. It I could always be any assume... tubular pasta? <laughs> macaroni? Yes. Any tubular pasta is, a mac oh, wow, is technically because... macaroni. It's, it's a square rectangle sort of thing. So penne is macaroni? Penne is considered macaroni. If next time you go, I don't think so, honey. If you go and buy <laughs> penne at the store, you're gonna see macaroni on the box. That's what it is. Time. I don't think so. Honey. It's very. Confusing. You're telling me rigatoni is macaroni. macaroni. Forget it. It's square rectangle. Wow, that might have to be a rule of culture. What? That every tubular pasta is macaroni. It's considered. And what macaroni. number was that again? Seven. It's rule of culture <laughs> number seven. Every tubular <laughs> pasta is, is macaroni. macaroni. Rigatoni is macaroni. Penne is macaroni. I'm horrified by this, but I respect it. Yeah, it's it. crazy. Isn't well, that jarring? It, like, it really freaks me out if I think too hard about it. Macaroons are not macaron, and neither of them are, are macaroni. And yet they all sound so similar. And when Yankee Doodle stuck a feather in his hat, he called it macaroni. Oh my, oh my gosh, God. You're right. I and didn't I even think that. of Yankee Doodle. You know, Ben, I identify with you being scared about the new information and fearful. But remember that, you know, Jennifer Lewis once looked me in the eyes on this podcast and she said, we can be scared, but we must not be unafraid. So take this information in and move forth. I think we should start with a Ben de la Creme. I don't think so, honey. What do you say? Wow. I love sure. it. This is this is the moment in time. Are you ready? I'm down. Mine is also language based. So this oh, is, amazing. This is Perfect. <laughs> this is Ben de la Creme's I don't think so, honey. Her time starts now. I don't think so, honey, with the de-evolution of the English language through TikTok. Oh. I cannot handle the POV situation. Yes. That is not a POV. POV of me eating a French fry is a fistful of French fries. Thank it is you. not a picture of me eating French fries. It makes me furious. I'm, mm -hmm. I do not like this no one colon thing. I understand yep, yep, that it started yep. a certain way, but it, de it devolved into, we don't need everything to start with no one colon. We know that no one said seconds. anything that is implicit in leaving it alone. I come from the greatest generation of overusing like and misusing ironic and literally. I feel good about that. Mm. I think we should stop <laughs> it there. I think it's getting too rapid and too out of control. Chaotic is meaningless. I want to hear no more chaotic. Everybody learn what POV is and stop putting your memes in like four different fonts. Just write a new meme. That Five is seconds. what we need. And I don't think so, honey, about any of this de-evolution. And that's one minute. I knew oh you were the Bowen. Oh my God. I mean, isn't it funny? Bowen is Ben. <laughs> Girl, I see you. I have always identified <laughs> as the Dela. I just, especially in the confessionals, I'm like, God, I was like, I could listen to this person just talk and talk. Not, not that it's, that's a means of identification, but I'm just like, oh, I love this person. Truly, truly. But because that was, that's how Bowen's brain works. No, 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 no. But this is, that was a perfect, I don't think so. Many. POV is, the usage is completely bastardized. It's, it's crazy. so upsetting. 
particularly by really, really attractive people who honestly should be trying harder. Yes, agree. But then that kills it for me. I'm like, no, boner gone. Mm-mm. It's not going to work. And no one, colon, yes, it is just at this point a means to like set up a thought that did not need the setup. <laughs> no, no, it's it's extraneous. Why we can't both completely stop using language correctly and not think about economy of language. If you're going to be bad at using words, use fewer words. It, thank you. Oh my god. And actually, I <laughs> that's used to a be, great note. That's a great note. I used to be global very note. global note. I used to be very, very, very hard on people misusing literally. But I think at this point, the word has sort of like taken on a, a, an additional meaning, which is just saying something is emphatic. Agreed. Mm. It's it's mm. also, I mean, I grew up on literally and the Alanis Morissette, you know, cultural confusion around of irony and what that <laughs> means. Yes, yes, yes. And I just feel, you know, that's, to me, that's grandfathered in. I understand that's generational. I was listening to a podcast that I recorded the other day and the amount that I used like and i always overuse oh. like but in this one so it we. was every other word and it's I was infuriating horrified. when you catch yourself doing that yeah i'm just saying everybody give yourself a little bit of grace because grace guess what you go back and watch any of my talk show appearances you will be stunned at how often <laughs> like gets thrown in there and i've just learned to accept it it's okay people still <laughs> understand what i'm saying I forgive it in others, and I am working on giving myself the same grace. Absolutely. Janine Garofalo, <laughs> when she came on this podcast, her I Don't Think So Honey was people saying like a lot, and we were kind of just sitting there like, oh, so she has never listened to this. <laughs> she, got, she got booked on this and thought, oh, yeah, I'll do what I have the afternoon for you. Had she listened to this podcast, she would never come on because she doesn't respect us. She doesn't respect us, and that's okay. And that's <laughs> no. okay. okay. I have always felt very strongly about grammar and punctuation and respecting language and stuff. And then, and then also there is classism in that, right? Like sure. it's been pointed out to me that being like a gatekeeper and not like listening to someone because of the way they speak is inherently classist. I do though think that if you want to be a content creator using language as a medium, you should have respect for it, right? Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. I mean, there's got to be some middle ground, but I mean, I I don't want to be classist, but I also want to understand what people are saying to me. I feel horrible yes. sometimes when it's like, a typo will really throw me off because I'm like, is this a typo because it's a typo? Is this a new abbreviation I don't understand? Is this a new phrase that's being used? Uh, I, I, maybe I'm just, maybe it's more my problem than anything else. I don't want to be just... classist about this, but I am perfectly fine with being ageist. Young people are bad <laughs> at a lot of things and that I am okay with saying out loud. Yeah. This is, this is the perfect kind of ageism. Are you ready? <laughs> Old people are bad. Young people are also bad the perfect age is the age that i am yes <laughs> that's it yes it's equal opportunity it was a crime when my father felt that way but now <laughs> yes. i that i am my father's age isn't that funny though when you start to become that person that's like that literally is like these kids you know what i mean like i think it started with like i don't know i guess like when i didn't and i'm just gonna bravely say this when i really didn't get the billy eilish thing at first I was like, huh? I was like, wait, what? Like, it's because I I really didn't get it. And 
so so famous like uh, like ubiquitous like parents know who she is and there i was being like huh like a cranky about it and now it is and, and i was cranky about tiktok too at first now i think it's fun and goofy and i laugh my little ass off when i'm on it but like the ways in which like it felt like it accelerated past you you know what i mean like that's what it is and yeah but but it's it's funny to become like yeah I, 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 I. yeah get off my lawn i'm having this thing where i like I have learned a lot of things from young people. I have learned a lot of new Certainly. ways of thought from young people. Um, uh, of course, I've learned a lot from my elders. Mm-hmm. I guess my only frustration with age groups right now is their inability for patience with one another. It's mm-hmm. like being a queer person in my 30s. I am finding a lot of frustration in trying to get the older generation and the younger generation to have a conversation with Together. each other. I know. Right. Like they are each digging their heels in the sand in opposite directions mm-hmm. and not across the board. You know, I know plenty of older people who are very open-minded. I know plenty of young people who are extremely mature, but I'm talking about the issue we're having in the queer community right now and have been having for a while is old people don't want to learn new stuff because they, they think I built this community. How dare you tell me there's new terms I don't know. Mm-hmm, and young mm-hmm. people are like, but you built the community for me. So I'm telling you this is what I want. Why aren't you respecting that? And yeah. then I'm sitting here in my 30s wanting to have sex with everyone. Yeah. And saying, can't we all get along? <laughs> and they're so tired from fighting. They can't get it up. Yeah. And they can't get it up. And they can't get it up. And other. you just, you just <laughs> bought a wedge. You can't even put and it I bought you. a wedge. What? I can't be a slut in this month. Modern age if people can't get along. You'll find a way to manage. <laughs> um, all right. So Jinx Monsoon. It's time for I yeah. don't think so, honey. Are you ready? You, and and yeah. remember, never forget Jinx Monsoon judged a Lost Culture Recess I Don't Think So Honey competition at Clusterfest in San Francisco alongside Alaska Thunderfuck. And it was mm. one of the great episodes. If you want to go back and listen to that episode, Gauntlet of, Dugag. Gauntlet it was the Gauntlet Dugag. <laughs> it was won by Rachel Pegram and it iconically features Joel Kim Booster's I Don't Think So Honey after sex when you fart and a little bit of cum comes out, which he did say in front of my entire immediate family in the great city of San Francisco. Um, <laughs> and I believe it tickled our panelists. Uh, so Jinx Monsoon. And then this, some cum came out. This is your I don't think so, honey. Your time starts now. I don't think so, honey, about trying to blame the safety of children on drag queens when guns kill children and drag queens. There you go. But drag queens don't kill children. But I think that's preaching to the choir, so I'm going to say I don't think so, honey, to jinx right now. You don't need to talk about that because everyone already knows. What I want to talk about is I don't think so, honey. If you're going to walk down the sidewalk, especially in Times Square, you got to keep a pace seconds. moving. You don't yeah. get to slow down. You don't get to turn your head around and look this way while you're walking that way. You don't get to walk four to a breast at a snail's pace. Some of us are on our way to work. Some of us only have an hour long dinner break and we've got to go get new nails. We got to get new lashes and new eyeliner. And you are slowing us down and every minute fucking counts. So if you are going to walk in New York City, if you're going to walk in Times Square, you got to walk at a brisk pace. That's just how it goes. If you can't handle it, get out of Hell's Kitchen. And that's one minute, god damn it. You know, it's so funny, like, even just spending some time in New York, like, you become this person who really is like, there's rules of the road! Yeah. And, 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 and in addition, there's rules about 
escalator etiquette. If yeah. you are standing on the left side, you have flopped. You are doing the wrong thing. The right side is for standing. The left side of the escalator is the lane for people that want to walk up the escalator. If you don't know this by now, you will never, never, never know me. My fucking you. <laughs> I feel like there is a real heterosexual entitlement to couples <laughs> holding hands on <laughs> busy rant. sidewalks. You do not see queer couples standing next to each other, no matter how many people are bustling down the street, just holding hands as if it is their God-given right to block that much of the sidewalk. Straight people are convinced that everyone should celebrate their relationships at all times. Straight mm. people are convinced that we are all so lucky to witness their public displays of affection. Yeah. And it's just not so straight people. It's just I don't give that. a shit. It's single file. <laughs> yeah. My partner and I walk single file and that is part of why I love him. <laughs> Thank yes. you. Oh, amazing. Half the time Michael's a block ahead of me. <laughs> that's partnership too that there's it comes yeah. in it comes in all forms you need someone to blaze the trail so true i mean speaking of blazing the trail <laughs> there's two legends oh. legendary legends <laughs> in the zoom um this was so so much fun to have you both we can't even tell you how much you've both just inspired us made us laugh made us scream, point at television screens and go, oh my God, and what the fuck, and yes, and stages across the damn country, and I'm going to imagine the world, are also grateful and thankful. You're both amazing. Well, back at you, sister. Thank you so much. It's a two-way street. The feeling is abundantly mutual. Outrageously so. I can only hope to run into you guys at airports. All three of you. (laughs) Yeah, I would love to run into you at the airport. But I'd be like, where are you going? Yeah, can we coordinate like a Delta Lounge moment at some point? We're all Delta, right? (laughs) No, Delta. I was just in the Delta Lounge last night and they were doing a... JFK. Well, it was packed. And so they were doing a lovely moment of there's not just one pasta buffet, but two. I said, thank you. I said, thank you. Thank you. I was just in JFK the other day and they did the same thing. They set up that little cart, right? Is that what you're talking about? The little noodle cart, like in the corner? Mm-hmm. Oh, I love it. And then they had a Nathan's hot dog cart somewhere, oh, too. Yes. Oh, wow. That's what you need everywhere <laughs> across the country, and a Nathan's hot dog cart. Yeah. Not just in New York, but the the Delta Lounge at LaGuardia, gotta say, top notch. Well, have you been good. to the new one in Los Angeles? I mean, it's not that new. No, now. it's really it's really good. Oh, it's, it's great. Incredible. No, it's great. Very good. Well done, Delta. I ate barbecued ribs on a deck. Yeah. It's really <laughs> oh, yes. nice. To There's have that deck option. where you can watch you can watch planes. It's beautiful. Listen, I'm on cloud nine right now because I haven't had to fly in like six weeks. And <sighs> every me, airport. Me, me, me. Every airport is the most genderphobic place. Oh my God. Next time I do this, I'm going to do, I don't think so, honey, about the genderphobia at the TSA security check. Oh, anyway. it's outrageous. Oh my outrageous. gosh. Well, every, all the readers have to go, you know, see Jinx on Broadway in Chicago. And in that spirit, Bowen. We end every episode of this podcast, Lost Culture Recess, a critically acclaimed podcast, which has been noted for um, the chemistry between a toast and its insight into the (laughs) entertainment industry with a song. Whatever happened to please, may I, and yes, Yes, thank thank you, you, and and how charming. charming. No, no one even says, oops, when When they're they're passing passing the the gas. Class. <laughs>
Was. And listen, if you want more of that, go to the theater. Bye. Bye. <laughs> <laughs>I'm Dr. Sanjay Gupta, CNN's chief medical correspondent, and this is Chasing Life. Three out of four U.S. adults are considered overweight or have obesity. 75% of Americans. Dr. Fatima Cody-Stanford. Our weight is one factor that plays a role in our health, but by itself, it doesn't give us the full story of who we are. We have to look at our full person. Listen to Chasing Life, streaming now on the iHeartRadio app. Have you heard about the social media platform for kids? It's called Zikazoo. It's a great place where kids like me can come together to make fun videos. Videos moderated by real people who review content before it's posted to the feed. I love the dance challenges. I love that it's Kids Safe COPPA certified. Uh, I don't know what that means. It means it has built-in privacy protections for your online data. Zigazoo, the world's largest social network. For kids. <laughs> Download the Zigazoo app today. There's plenty to celebrate in March. And ex- Craft Month with the perfect pizza at home class from Craftsy. And anytime is right to listen to iHeartRadio's iHeartCountry Radio. Discover more shows and movies for free. At-